Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. Hope everybody had a nice week. Uh, kind of the end of the summer week. I don't know if you go through a morning process. I go through a little bit of a morning process when everything changes. I mean, there's certain aspects of summer ending that I actually like, and then other aspects of summer ending that I'm not a huge fan of. I do like kind of getting back to a normal routine, which doesn't seem like it's super possible during the summer months. Uh, but uh, apart from that's kind of it, right? <laughs> that's kind of it. I, I like I enjoy the summer months, and uh, we have a lot of fun things that we have the opportunity to do as a family. And hopefully, you had a good summer as well. Some of you were seeing again today after not seeing you for uh, a little while, so welcome back. Some of you are here with us for the first time today. Uh, I think the rest of our congregation today is camping by what I saw on Facebook. So I don't know if they're live streaming our service today out in the uh, campground, but. Uh, I hope that their summer finale is going well. Um, We've been, over the course of the the past few months, over the course of the summer months here, we've been talking about who God is. And we've been talking about aspects of his nature. We've been talking about his character. We've been talking about the ways in which he operates within his creation. And we're going to continue that today. And in fact, today's our, our, uh, we're finishing up today. Um, by, uh, so, you know, we've been thinking about God, we've been talking about God, but what we want to do today as we finish up this series about who God is, is we're going to talk about the fact that, or the question of why and how should I pray to God? So it's one thing to know about God, but it's another thing to know Him personally. And so what we're talking about today fits with this idea of ongoing relationship with the one who created us. And when we look through the scriptures, we can see that the Lord implores us to be people who pray to him, people who come before him regularly and consistently and and uh, with joy. And so we're going to look at a variety of scriptures this morning, but the first portion of scripture we're going to look at is from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn there with me. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And as we look at this here, it's going to start off our discussion here on praying, you know, why we should pray, how we should pray, and it's going to set us up to be looking at a variety of other scriptures as well. James chapter 1, starting with verse 5, this is what it states. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together today. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that as we look at what your word states, that our relationship with you can be deepened. Our relationship with you can grow as we learn more about you and as we learn how you operate in our lives. And as we learn the things that you've called us to be obedient to do. And so, Lord, we know that one of those things is prayer. You've called us to be obedient to you in prayer. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be a joyful obedience particularly as we look at your word today and as we see some of the things that you've revealed to us about the purpose and the the nature of prayer. 
So Lord, we commit this time to you and we thank you for the privilege to be able to come before your throne. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So early in my years as a pastor, I was serving a church in Northeast Pennsylvania, and there was a visitor one particular Sunday who came and participated in our Sunday morning worship service, and afterwards she also attended uh, a lunch at one of the church members' home that was being hosted that day, and during the meal she made a point to walk up to me, and she wanted to talk to me about something in particular. She had some questions about the church. And she wanted me to know that it was very different from the tradition that she had grown up experiencing. And then she made this statement, and it stuck with me ever since. And this was quite some time ago when I heard this. But she said, when you prayed, it didn't look like you were reading anything. That's what she said. She's like, it didn't look like you were reading anything. And she said, in fact, it seemed to me like you were talking directly to God. That's what she said. And I remember having that stand out to me because in that context, I thought, well, yeah, that's exactly what what we do when we're praying. We, We talk directly to God. And so I assured the woman that that's exactly what I was doing. And she was fascinated by that concept because for some reason, she seemed to be under the impression that talking to God directly wasn't something that we as human beings could actually do. And I was surprised to learn that. Uh, she was surprised to hear me do that. I was surprised to learn that she didn't fully realize that that was something that was possible. But when you look at what Scripture reveals to us about prayer, we're shown that prayer is a beautiful and powerful thing. And when Scripture speaks of prayer, it's speaking of a privilege that those who trust in Jesus Christ have to come to the Lord personally, to come to the Lord in a context like we're doing right now collectively, to come to the Lord directly, and to communicate with Him. In prayer, we can praise Him for who He is. We can confess our sins and our struggles to Him. We can thank Him for the work that He's accomplishing in our lives. And we can make requests of Him for His divine help and for His divine intervention and for His divine protection. We can come to the Lord out loud. We can come to Him silently. We can be sitting. We could be standing. We could be kneeling. We could be in a church building, or we could be in a car when we pray to the Lord. We could be at home. We could be out in a field. We could be somewhere taking a walk. We could pray during seasons of happiness. We could pray during seasons of sorrow. We could pray short prayers. We can pray long prayers. When we're praying for someone, we can place our hands on them. Or when we're praying, we could lift our hands up to the sky. Or when we're praying, we could place our hands in our pockets. But if we pray... Let's do so with an understanding of what Scripture actually teaches us about the purpose and the pattern for prayer. And as we do that, let's also think about the power and the peace that we can receive through utilizing it. Let me start us off this morning by talking about the purpose for prayer. Because prayer has a purpose. When you look at what Scripture tells us about what prayer is for and why we're encouraged to pray. We're shown a purpose for prayer. Now, just a few moments ago, I read from James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, and I want to reread these verses. In James 1, verse 5 and 6, uh, the scripture tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
Let me pause there for just a second. Prayer is an act of communication and it's an act of worship. It's a means through which that we, it's a means through which we glorify the Lord. And it's something that he instructs us to do all throughout the course of his word. So time and time again, scripture gives us examples of believers who sought the Lord in prayer and who subsequently were blessed by his intervention in one fashion or another. Now, in the portion of scripture that we just read from the book of James, so in that letter, you have James, who was a prominent church leader during the, the era of uh, the first century of the church, and he encourages the church in a variety of ways, but one of the main things that he encouraged the early church to do was to pray. He encouraged them to be people of prayer, to be prayerful individuals, and he specifically encourages them, and likewise us, to be People who ask our generous God for wisdom because the Lord delights to bless his children with that gift. In fact, there are certain things that Scripture tells us that that effectively, I mean, there are certain things that when you pray to the Lord, you wonder, you know, I, I wonder if it's the Lord's will to answer this with a yes, no, maybe, wait, I don't know. But when it comes to wisdom, wisdom is something that multiple times in Scripture we're encouraged to practice. And here you have James encouraging us to pray to the Lord for wisdom. And he also stresses to us that when we come before the Lord in prayer, we should come as an expression of our genuine trust in God. So we're challenged to bring these requests before the Lord in prayer in faith that he delights to act on behalf of his children. We're encouraged not to doubt God's willingness to answer prayers that are submitted to his will. Now, speaking of God's will, I want to make mention of his will right now, and then I want to make mention of his will a second time in a few minutes. But speaking of God's will, prayer helps us to discern God's will. God's moral will is clear when you read through the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever spent some time, my guess is you probably have, asking yourself questions like, what is God's will for me? Have you spent time doing that? You know, Lord, what's your will? And a lot of times when we're talking about that, we want to know, Lord, what is your specific plan for the next stage of my life? Or how do you want me to be using my life right now here in the presence? In the present. So a lot of times when we're talking about the will of God, we're talking about, you know, things related to his plan for our future. But even before we get into this idea of what God's plan is for our future or, or plan is how he specifically might want us to use a certain aspect of our life, one of the things that we should accept is the fact that God's moral will is 100% clear from Scripture. So if you want to know the will of God, it begins actually with looking at the Scriptures and seeing what the Scriptures actually tell us about the will of God. And I'll tell you what, uh, if I'm living outside of the moral will of God, I have a very difficult time discerning the specific will of God for my life as far as his plans and his actions. Meaning like if I go and I've done this and maybe you've done this as well, but if you're going through a stretch of your life where you've become really adept at just not listening to what God's clearly revealed in scripture, you basically set yourself up to be a person who just isn't listening to him. And then very selectively in moments of time where we're like, all right, Lord, I need to know what your will is in this particular moment. And I imagine God being a father um, looking at us, it's like, really? So you ignore my voice when it's inconvenient for you, but right now in this moment of need, now you would like to hear what I have to say. So the pattern of your life is ignoring me, but in this moment, you're desperate enough to actually ask 
what my will is. If we want to know the will of God, it actually begins with looking at the scriptures and we begin to understand God's moral will. And I think that as we understand God's moral will, that helps us discern his sovereign specific will for our individual lives as the Holy Spirit makes the word of God clear to us. But again, he invites us to, to come before him, to pray, to ask um, uh, for wisdom, to ask him for help, to apply the scriptures to, uh, to the appropriate life circumstance that we may be going in. Through prayer, we come before the Lord and we ask him for his help in pivotal seasons and in pivotal moments. Prayer is also the method that God has ordained for certain things to be accomplished. Have you ever looked through scripture to see some of the things that the Lord says are specifically accomplished through prayer. There are certain things that he says are specifically accomplished through prayer. In fact, there are many things that will not be accomplished any other way other than through prayer, other than through the supernatural intervention of God. So there are spiritual battles taking place all around us, in your life, in my life, and in the lives of, of those that we know. And those things need to be bathed in prayer. And in a moment, I'm going to show you something from Scripture that Jesus references that I think gives us a good um, indicator of this. In addition to that, we're also told to be people who pray that the Lord would raise up people who would be obedient servants of his in this generation. So people who will make his gospel known, people who will serve him in a variety of areas to help other people come to know him. That's something Scripture tells us to specifically pray. We're also told to specifically pray for our leaders, specifically for those who govern us, really if it's on a small scale or if it's on a national scale. The Lord invites us to pray for our leaders. And the interesting thing about that is half the time it's easy to pray for our leaders, and half the time it's difficult to pray for our leaders, because during the course of my life I've experienced enough local leadership and national leadership to experience some leaders that I'm like, yeah, I like that person or I voted for that person, so it's easy for me to pray for that person. And then if I don't like or haven't vote for, voted for that person, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I could pray that something bad would happen to them and that they'd come to their senses or something like that. But that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us to be praying for them, and that in fact, you know, that in some leaders' context, that their task would be a joy and that it would be for your benefit and my benefit and for everybody's benefit. And God has ordained that... His power would be released through prayer in those specific contexts. Let me show you a few scriptures that speak to this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it says this, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So again, what does scripture encourage us to do? Pray that the Lord would raise up and send out laborers to share the gospel, to make the gospel known. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So it's interesting when you look at that scripture, we're encouraged to be praying for those who hold positions of leadership for their benefit, and for ours. Because if things go well for them, if they're operating with divine wisdom that the Lord gives to them, 
That has an impact on us. And in fact, the way the Apostle Paul describes it there in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is he's encouraging believers to be prayerful for leaders. He says the net effect on us is that we may have the privilege to live peaceful and quiet lives. You know, it's the idea of there not being constant conflict and strife as the Lord's wisdom operates in the hearts and in the minds of our leaders that we could live a godly and dignified life in every way. That's something Scripture encourages us to be practicing, praying for those in leadership. You know something else that, um, that prayer does for us that I want us to be thinking about that I think is, is one of the Lord's divine purposes for prayer? When most people think about God, let me set this up by asking this. When most people think about God, They're thinking about someone who lives off in the heavens, right? They're thinking about one who is distant, who's watching down and and looking at us from a real far place, from a real far distance, way, way, way off, inaccessible. And they also tend to think maybe he's looking at us collectively, but maybe not quite individually. And then you look at what Scripture says, and we, we studied this some weeks ago, the fact that God is omnipresent. He's all places at once. So yes, He's in that place at a distance, but He's also right here. Right here. Not just seeing us as a group, but also seeing you as an individual. Right here. In your presence. And so one of the benefits of prayer, and I believe this is one of the purposes of prayer, is that the Lord uses it to remind us that He's near. He's not just far, He's near. When we're people who actively practice prayer, we're reminded that God is near. When the pattern of our lives is one of continual prayer, we're shown that, it, that God is not distant, He's not disinterested, He's not uninvolved, He isn't just far away from us. He's right here in our presence, in the presence of his children who call on his name. These are things that Scripture revealed to us about God's nature. And I believe that that's one of the benefits of being people who actively engage the Lord in prayer. Scripture also teaches us, when we're talking about the purpose of prayer, that the Lord uses prayer as an opportunity for us to confess to him. I love what scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So through prayer what what are we doing? We're acknowledging the sin that we're struggling with. We're admitting it to God who knows it anyway. But we're admitting it to him. We're bringing it to the light. And we're receiving his divinely orchestrated cleansing. So we don't need to continue walking day by day by day in the shame and in the guilt of errors that maybe we're trying to bury somewhere deep down in our soul so we don't have to think about it. What does Scripture encourage us to do? Those things are present in your life and my life, right? We all have our areas of struggle. We all have our areas that... We're kind of embarrassed to admit, yet the Lord knows these things anyway. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you can be assured that you are loved by God the Father just the same. And he invites us to confess these things to him, to admit these things to him, 
so that we can confess them, receive his cleansing, repent of these things, and move on instead of living in the shame and the guilt of what takes place when we try and bury those things deep down in our soul. You know what happens to sin when it's exposed to the light? It loses its power over you. When, when sin is exposed to the light, it's exposed for what it really is. It's harmfulness. It's pain. The other side of it, it's all exposed and brought out. And Scripture encourages us to be people who confess what we're struggling with to the Lord so that those things don't dominate and master our lives. We can confess these things and repent of them and walk as cleansed believers who've been cleansed by the Lord as we trust in Him instead of burying what we're, we're struggling with deep down somewhere into our souls and carrying that around and the shame and the guilt and all the pain that goes along with it because we bury it deep down and never let it go. But when we confess our sin to the Lord, when we repent of these things, when we embrace this cleansing that the Lord supplies to us, He makes us able to approach every day as a new day where we can live in the joy of being a new creation that has been forgiven and cleansed through the power of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So these are some things that Scripture reveals to us in regard to the purpose of prayer. But there's also a pattern for prayer that I want to bring up to us today. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, I'll just bring it up here on the screen for us. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, you have Jesus making a statement here in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's what Christ encouraged his followers to do. To go into your room, to shut the door, to pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you, he says. So again, since prayer is so important to the Lord... Since prayer is pivotal in the facilitation of our ongoing relationship with Him, I think it's worth asking the question, how should we pray? You know, what does it look like? What is this pattern for prayer? How should we pray? Is there a particular pattern or some guiding principle recommended to us in Scripture? Do you ever wonder about that? During the era of Christ's earthly ministry, some of the most visible examples of people who prayed uh, and, and what prayer looked like would be through the actions of the religious leaders of the day who, unfortunately, Christ revealed, were more concerned with being praised themselves than they were with giving praise to God. They were more concerned with being praised than they were concerned with giving praise. So when they would be in a context that would particularly be maybe in the marketplace or some other public context, they like to give long and verbose and showy prayers. Do you ever meet somebody like that? You don't have to admit it out loud, but they just came to your mind, didn't they? You know, they just it's all about the show, right? It's all about the pomp. It's all about, hey, everybody, look at me. I know a guy. Now, I don't think he does this maliciously, but he speaks in common English, but whenever he prays in front of a group, he uses Shakespearean English. And I'm like, where does this new English come from? And it's like, well, you know, and, and like he never would admit this, but 
you know, when praying in front of a group, all of a sudden, I, I, I always noticed he felt like he needed to put on some sort of a show. And I was like, that is some old 1500s English we've got going on right there. And in the context of Christ's earthly ministry, you have the religious leaders who, I mean, just for a show and for attention, so that people would pat them on the back and give them as much praise as possible. They'd give these long, showy prayers that weren't really directed to the Lord. They were really, it was just, it was like a horizontal type prayer instead of a vertical prayer, meaning they were just using a bunch of words so that people would think well of them. But Christ recommends a different pattern when you look at Matthew chapter 6. And the pattern he speaks of here, his main emphasis is authenticity. It wasn't forbidding public prayer, right? When we gather together for worship, we pray publicly. Uh, when you're in a group or maybe at, at a family meal. Um, by the way, some of you are in, in uh, Bible college. Do you have a context now where when you go home for a family meal, you're the one now it's expected to pray, like particularly if your extended family is around? Because obviously you're the authority on God now. Therefore, you need to be the one who, who does that. I, I remember noticing this pattern. Prior to uh, becoming a pastor, I don't remember being like the main person that got asked by my extended family to pray at holiday meals and things like that. But then becoming a pastor, obviously... I'm apparently the only one who still remembers how this is done. And I'm like, it's okay, somebody else can do this. And then my favorite, and this is a dumb joke, all right? But one of my favorite jokes, if you're ever becoming a pastor, you can use this. It's dumb when I say it, it'll be dumb when you say it too. But my favorite thing is to be like, I'm sorry guys, it's a holiday, I'm off duty. Off duty today. Obviously I cannot pray, somebody else is going to have to pray. Off duty. And, uh, you know, but anyway... When you look at what Christ is saying here in this portion of Scripture, he's, he's, uh, he's recommending a different pattern, right? The pattern he's recommending is a pattern of authenticity. He's encouraging, he's encouraging a return to genuine prayer. And the example he gives of what genuine prayer looks like most often, he says, listen, go to a private place. All your prayers don't have to be in front of a group. It doesn't have to be in front of an assembly every time you pray. Just go to a quiet place and pray to God, your Father, who delights to reward his children. Just go to a quiet place. When I was growing up, I had a very large closet in my room because it went under the upstairs stairwell. And, you know, I obviously hang some clothing in it, but one of my favorite things to do is to kind of shut out the world. And I'd just go in there, and I'd just sit there. And it was dark, there was just a, you know, it was a light bulb I could use if I wanted to, but I, if I had to study for a test... I'd go in there and study for a test because it removed distractions. But it also was a great place to pray. I became serious about my faith in Christ when I was 15. And so I'd utilize that that area just to go as a quiet place to pray. It removed some distractions. And when you look at what Christ is saying here, he's saying, listen, just, just go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father, and don't make a big show about it all the time. Be authentic. Be real. So, in this idea of authenticity, as Christ is describing this here in this passage, there's a question that I'm often asked about prayer, and maybe you've wondered this yourself. I've been asked more than once, even here in our congregation, who should my prayers be addressed to? Have you ever wondered that? 
And the reason I'm bringing that up is because as Christians who believe the teaching of Scripture, we understand that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, yet three distinct persons eternally existing in perfect unity. So should your prayers be addressed to the Father, or should they be addressed to the Son, or should your prayers be addressed to the Holy Spirit, or should we pray to all three, or does it even matter? Well, since the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, let me first off say, before suggesting a pattern, that essentially I see nothing wrong with addressing our prayers to any member of the Trinity. But there is a pattern that we're given in Scripture that, generally speaking, I think is wise to follow. And the pattern that we're given in Scripture, and I'll show this to us in just a moment, the pattern that we're shown in Scripture is to address our prayers to the Father, in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me show you why I I say that as a pattern, or why I suggest that. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9... Let me jump there. Jesus says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he starts off, and commonly that portion of Scripture we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And you have Jesus giving us a pattern for prayer. And so he begins by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he also states in John chapter 14, verse 13, he says, Whatever you ask in my name... This I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we're encouraged to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then additionally, you have the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So let's combine those. Let's take a look at all three of those. As we, as we take them together, we're being shown a pattern of addressing our prayers to God the Father, who e- eternally operates as head of the Trinity. In the name of Jesus, through whom we have access to God's throne of grace, right? I mean, think about this for a second. The reason we're able to come before the Father is because of the work that Christ the Son accomplished on our behalf. And then the scripture also invites us to be praying by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians 6.18, we're being told, praying at all times in the Spirit. The idea of in the Spirit, it means with the help of or under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what the scripture is talking about there when it says in the Spirit. So it's with the help of or under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern for prayer that scripture seems to give to us that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that being said, if you address your prayer to Jesus, there's nothing wrong with that. If you address your prayer to the Holy Spirit, there's nothing wrong with that. But generally speaking, without being overly dogmatic, the pattern we're given is to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And additionally, additionally, there's... I think one more facet of prayer that I think is worth considering. And that's the importance of when you're making a request to the Father, that you make that request in accordance with His will. Now, we talked about His will a few moments ago, and I want to say something additional about it. 
Jesus demonstrated the importance of praying in accordance to the will of the Father just prior to being crucified. Let me show you what he says in in Luke chapter 22. This is in verses 41 and 42 of Luke 22. But Jesus, or the scripture states, it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Even though Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and he and the Father are one. Yet even within the Trinity, we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, showing this, uh, you know, particularly in a context like this, this submission to the will of the Father. And it's not saying that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are different in their essence, but they have a different role. And they each respect one another's role. And so Christ gives us the pattern of praying in accordance to the will of the Father. Now, it can be tempting to try and lift up your prayers to God in accordance with your own will. I know a lot of times when I'm praying, I have to step back a little bit and ask myself the question, am I praying according to my will or am I praying according to the Lord's will? But I think a big part of trusting Him means that we trust that He can see things that we cannot see. He always has the big picture in mind. And he's continually working all things together for his glory and for our good, even when it's difficult for us to perceive what he's up to. So that means in the midst of our trials and needs, even though it can be challenging for us to see beyond our pain, that can be the perfect time for us to learn to trust God's will. And he's glorified through our faith when we rest in the peace and in the assurance that that we don't need to force his hand. And that we don't need to change his plans because his will is perfect. And we could be at peace with that knowledge. And with that in our minds, I just want to say this as we finish up this morning. There's power and peace that can be experienced through prayer. Now, I didn't mean to alliterate my main points today. But we talked about the purpose of prayer. We talked about the pattern of prayer. And now we're talking about the power and peace experienced through prayer. Through prayer. And um, I, I, I guess that's a lot of alliterated words for one day, all right? Um, but that's just bonus. But when we look at what Scripture tells us, we're, we're, it's, the Scriptures may make it abundantly clear to us that there is power in prayer and there is peace through prayer. And I think that that's key to understanding the impact that the Lord wants to use prayer to have on our lives. Because prayer is not meant to be a bland lifeless, routine activity for us to waste time engaging in simply because it either makes us look religious or feel religious. And sometimes I hear people pray and I think, are you genuinely praying or are you just going through the motions of prayer? Is that from your heart or are you just going through the routine? Prayer is not a lifeless, bland routine that we just go through. On the contrary, through prayer, we're given access to both the supernatural power of God We're also given access to his lasting peace, which he utilizes to guard our minds and our hearts. Miraculous things happen through prayer. With my own eyes, on multiple occasions, without being overly sensational in saying this, I have witnessed the Lord powerfully answer prayers in miraculous ways to heal people. seen that multiple times in my life, enough to believe that the Lord heals people, and intervenes miraculously 
on their behalf in accordance with his will. I've also witnessed him use his power to soften hearts that were dead set against him. In fact, not too long ago, I had the opportunity to, to, to witness that very specific thing in someone's life. Watch the Lord change a hard heart. I think it's also worth noting that Jesus made it clear that the power of certain forms of demonic oppression or possession can only be resolved through prayer. The power of God is accessed through prayer. Look at what it tells us in Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. There it says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Don't you wish, by the way, that you could be privy to many of the private conversations that the disciples had with Christ? But here we're given one of them. And it says, The disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So they were trying to cast a demon out, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So what is he saying? He's saying here that spiritual battles are fought how? They're not fought in natural strength. They're fought through prayer. As we, ask, as we access the Lord's power, as we ask him to intervene on our behalf. Scripture also reveals to us, and I'm going to share in just a moment, one of the most often quoted portions of Scripture, and I think that's for good reason, but in addition to the fact that there's power in prayer, Scripture also tells us that there's peace through prayer. That if you want to experience lasting peace, and if I want to experience lasting peace, we're only going to receive that through the Lord's intervention in our lives, and that intervention is requested through prayer. So in your life and in my life, there are experiences and there are seasons that we may go through that may prompt a lot of worry and may prompt a lot of anxiety. Maybe you're going through one of those seasons right now. You know, maybe there's some things going on in your life right now that are different from what you're used to or are stretching you in new ways or there's some transitions that you've been going through during this season of your life and you felt anxious or you felt worried in, in the midst of all of this. Well, our Lord has promised us peace through prayer, his peace. He brings rest to our anxious minds. He brings rest to our anxious hearts. He reminds us that we cannot control the things that we've been trying to control. We cannot predict everything that we've been trying to predict. We cannot perfectly resolve all the situations that we're trying to perfectly resolve in our own strength. Only he can ultimately accomplish these things. But what we can do is that we can trust him to safely handle the things that are weighing us down and worrying us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you could safely trust him to handle the things that have been weighing your heart down and worrying you? We don't need to worry about those things continually. In fact, when you give those things over to the Lord, these are things that you don't need to worry about any longer, we can genuinely trust him to accomplish what he's promised to accomplish. I love what we're told in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Very frequently quoted. And many of us could probably even remember the first time we heard these verses, but also for some of us, maybe today, right now, will be the first time you heard these verses. But in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
That's a beautiful portion of Scripture, and it's worth committing to memory because it's something that you will need to be reminded of during many, many, many seasons of your life. The longer you live, the longer you're going to need to be reminded of it, but the more certain of it you'll become. I don't know if prayer is a regular facet of your life at present, but I do know that the Lord wants it to be. And he demonstrates to us its purpose and its pattern when we look at it in his word. He convinces us of the power and the peace that we could experience through it. And he also makes it clear that he delights to be in continual communication with his children. So let me say this as we finish up and prepare our hearts to begin taking communion together. If it's been a while since you've expressed your gratefulness to the Lord, your gratefulness for who he is and for what he does, Today would be a great opportunity to rekindle that aspect of your relationship with him. And I'll also say this, as we prepare to take communion together, one of the things that's a practice that we we practice here in our congregation is taking a moment to silently pray to the Lord before we partake of communion, confessing to him anything that we've been holding back from him. So if there's something in your life that you know it doesn't belong there, maybe a sin or a regret or a mistake, or an error, or a grudge, or whatever it may be that you're holding on to, that you've tucked somewhere deep down that doesn't need to be there any longer, and really shouldn't have been there in the first place, confess it to the Lord. Seek His cleansing. Recognize the fact that Jesus Christ gave of Himself so that you and I could be forgiven through faith in Him. As He shed His blood on the cross, He atoned for our sin. And He gave us communion as a reminder of all He endured, on our behalf. So let's pause for just a moment for silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in prayer together, and then we'll, we'll uh, take communion together. But let's pray and confess before the Lord for a moment together. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come before you. We thank you that we can confess our sin to you, not because we're revealing something to you that you didn't know about already. Obviously, you know all things, so you know the things we struggle with and the things that we wrestle with, but you also revealed to us in your word that when we confess these things to you, we're participating in this this pattern of exposing our sin to the light. Our sin is being robbed of the dominance that it had over us, the power that it had over us, as you cleanse us from all unrighteousness and you allow us to see our sin for what it really was. So Lord, we confess these things to you. We seek your cleansing. And we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to partake of communion together this morning. Lord, as we partake of the bread, we pray that we would be reminded of the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that he endured on our behalf. We pray that as we partake of the juice, that we would be reminded of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, which was shed on our behalf, that our sin could be atoned for, that through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we could be completely forgiven of our sin, washed, cleansed, made holy and righteous in your sight, 
and experience the joy of living in your presence for all eternity. Lord, we're grateful that you've accomplished this on our behalf, and we're grateful for the privilege that we experience now as we partake of these elements together. Be glorified in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.